watchers in the fourth dimension. Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. And I'm Julie. And this episode, we're back to do our traditional once a season big finish story. And this season, we've picked a slightly unusual one. Sympathy for the Devil from the Doctor Who Unbound range. Unbound is a range of what-if stories that came about as part of Big Finish's celebrations for the 40th anniversary of Doctor Who back in 2003. Sympathy for the Devil was the second release in the range, posing the question, what if the Doctor was never unit scientific advisor? The story was written by Jonathan Clements, who has written eight full-length audio plays for Big Finish, directed by Gary Russell, who was Big Finish's executive producer for Doctor Who at the time, with music and sound being provided by Andy Harwick and Gareth Jenkins, respectively, both being members of a company called ERS, which did a lot of the music and sound design in Big Finish's first ten years. To play the alternative third Doctor, Big Finish brought in the one and only David Warner. Nicholas Courtney returns as the Brigadier. Sam Kisgart is credited as playing Curla, more on him later, and an obscure actor called David Tennant plays Colonel Brimacombe Wood. <laughs> I wonder what happened to that guy. I don't know. He kind of went quiet after this, right? The story was recorded in March 2003 and was released on CD in June 2003, and I have very fond memories of this one from the time, and I very much consider it to be one of my comfort audios. Spoilers, this will be getting a good rating from me. Let's just jump right in and discuss it. Let's do this freestyle, Julie. All right. One of the first things I want to say, I completely forgot what range this was in. Mm. So I was very confused at the very beginning. I was like, what's going on? Where does this fit in? And I was like, oh yeah, now I remember. Anthony did mention that before. <laughs> that was fun. In case some of you also didn't know about that. That's how the story goes. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of an important thing to remember. Otherwise, you really are like, what the hell? Who's this guy? I don't remember this guy being the Doctor. It was interesting as well, because he didn't even try to attempt to sound like the third Doctor, really. No, I mean, he's very much meant to be an alternate third Doctor, so he's just playing it as David Warner. You know, it's David Warner. I wouldn't want him doing anything else. Yeah. And what I love is he then actually comes back for a second one, and then they bring his alternate Doctor over into the main Doctor Who universe as well for a later range, which is really, really fun. He was the most successful of the six actors who did the original Unbound range. I just love it. One thing I'm going to say, and this tends to be a blanket statement for our Big Finish ones, but Big Finish nailed it again with the audio. Yeah. <laughs> like always. It's the music and just generally the soundscape. I mean, they do a good job of capturing the hustle and bustle of a city like Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The beginning cracked me up, though. Just this guy drunk off his ass, <laughs> just walking down the street. I'm like, oh, my God, can someone please? He's going to offend somebody. And he does. Yeah, yeah, he does. Multiple people. <laughs> I feel like the beginning is just a series of cultural embarrassments. I think it's Marcus at one point who says, I am not racist. Well, except for the Japs and the Welsh. I'm like, <laughs> Dude. <laughs> and then later the doctor in the pub talking to Ling when he says, oh, your English is very good. And she goes, it should be. I'm from Slough. That's brilliant. Yeah. Fantastic. Let's start with some of the characters. Obviously, we don't see a lot of Marcus. He gets his later voicemail to Adam's phone call. 
Adam's bumped off pretty quickly, but our main characters are obviously the Doctor, mm-hmm. the Brigadier, and of course it's wonderful to hear Nicholas Courtney in Big Finish <sighs> before he passed away. We've got the Abbot and Brimacombe Wood, and then, of course, Carla, who is revealed to be the Master. Any favourites from that lot, Julie? I do have to do a call-out for the shouty Scott, as I like to think of him in this one, because he was very shouty. David Tennant was for his character. But what I liked about it, it was an alternate view of who could lead unit. And it was very interesting because we have our fond memories of the Brigadier in how he was difficult at the beginning (laughs) in a lot of respects, but eventually he was able to work with the Doctor. But then you've got the shouty Scottish man who hates everybody and is paranoid somehow and just snaps at anything that happens. So it's just really interesting to see those two different dynamics of who could be in charge of unit. Yeah, and I think a big part of that is the Brigadier has a code. So even at the beginning when he doesn't know and doesn't quite trust the Doctor, he still does things with a sense of decorum. Mm-hmm. which Brimacombe Wood very much doesn't. And I almost wonder, you mentioned he was kind of paranoid. As the story moves along, we find out that without the Doctor, everything just went horribly wrong. So bad. He saw what happened with the Brigadier, so I think his paranoia is a big part of, I don't want me to end up like the Brigadier is. What I also thought was interesting about it was the fact that they hit on some of the highlights, got your plastic flowers in your dinosaurs and everything like that. What I found interesting is when we watch the episodes with the Brigadier in them, he's always the one who is, I don't believe you and has to be convinced. But then as these stories unfold, he's like, but they were plastic flowers and they were bad. We needed to do something about it. So it just seemed like he was not as questioning in this timeline. Yeah, and I think what probably happened was because there was no doctor, he didn't question at first and things just went wrong. So he had to become a bit more cynical and open to these things because if he wasn't, no one else was. Yeah, but I think I really liked Colonel Wood. I'm not going to say the rest of his name because it's just too long. And the Brigadier, especially the dynamics between the two. I really enjoyed that. And I'm not going to lie, Nicholas Courtney sounded exactly like the Brigadier. He did. <laughs> Talking about Brimick and Wood, this was two years before anyone knew who David Tennant really was. He'd been in a few TV things, but his involvement in Doctor Who had been with Big Finish. And to me at the time, he was just shouty unit colonel and then mm-hmm. a couple of years later i saw him in russell t davies casanova and then he was the <gasps> doctor oh that casanova show oh it's so good so good <laughs> <laughs> i'm so glad i found someone else who loves it listeners if you haven't watched it i highly recommend watching it track it down oh so good let's talk about the other returning character and that is of course Curla, played by so-called Sam Kiscott, which is an anagram of Mark Gatiss for anyone who did not realize that. I was sitting there, I was like, that man sounds like Mark Gatiss. Yeah, it was Mark Gatiss. Okay. (laughs) At the time, because you didn't get a lot of leaks out of Big Finish, they were trying to kind of keep it a little hush-hush. So they credited him as Curler rather than the Master, and they did an anagram of his name, which is something we will see with stories in the 80s when they want to keep the Master a secret. They anagram the actor's name. It was 100% Mark Gatiss, and he makes such a great master. It was so good. I was trying to track it down. I was like, is this Mark Gatiss? In my head, I was like, if this isn't Mark Gatiss, there's something wrong with me. (laughs) Your ears were completely on point. And he's so good. 
What's really cool is Jonathan Clements, the writer, intended the master that dies and regenerates to be the Delgado master. Mm. That's what happens there. And then this was the first ever regeneration on audio. Oh. Fun little fact at. What I find interesting is when the master, when he's going through all the historical events where everything went wrong and he's talking about it, it's like, and you weren't there. He was still trying his, I'm going to do these terrible things to get the doctor's attention because I want him to notice me. Yeah. He still did it in this version. What's more is it's not just our theory on this anymore. This is legitimately in something that's officially licensed. Yes. We're not the only ones with this theory. (laughs) Thank you, Big Finish. I feel vindicated. The other main characters that we have are the Abbot, who is just a wonderful, serene, calm character who survives till the end, miraculously. Spoilers. I have some questions about the Abbot. Yes. Because I was a little bit suspicious of him at first. Because he seemed too calm and Mm. collected. Not saying I was thinking that he was the master because that would make zero sense. But there's just something about him. There's a part of me that feels like he was a time lord who was just there kind of guiding things along or something. I don't know. It's interesting you say that because it's a shame we're recording this before we've done Planet of the Spiders. Because I think you might have some theories after that. Oh. Stuff to do with Buddhist monks. Okay. Maybe you and I can find some time to talk about that in another episode. We'll see. See how it works out. And if all else fails, we'll make it a talking point on our Facebook or something. Yeah. But I'm still suspicious of him. (laughs) Even after listening and finding out he's like, there's nothing to be suspicious of. You're still like, I don't trust this guy. It's not that I think that he's a bad guy. I just think there's something more to him than just being a monk. Okay. That is fair. Okay. Even serene monks... Given the fact that there's otherworldly things and parasites and all this other nonsense, most would still find that bizarre. And he's just like, whatever. Just flow down the river of life, man. Oh, man. Lastly, we have Ling, who I think is, to me, the least convincing character. Oh, absolutely. She's really (laughs) mad at Adam constantly. And then he dies and she's absolutely distraught after basically telling him that she's likely to dump him. I'm like, girl, make up your mind. Do you care or do you not care? It's one of those like frustrating tropey things. It feels like a Torchwood type of plotline for Ling. Oh, it does, doesn't it? I hadn't even thought of that. (laughs) I love Torchwood, but some of the plotlines for the non-main characters are very much this, where it's people dating, they can't stand each other, but yet they're still with each other and all this other nonsense. Someone died. Like, it just seems it fits in that kind of realm. I know plenty of people like that in real life, though. Maybe it's not too far-fetched. <laughs> I'm not saying it's far-fetched. I'm just saying it feels more Torchwoody than Doctor Whoey. It does. You're absolutely right. And yes, Doctor Whoey is a phrase. It is now. <laughs> Let's talk about the plot, because this is basically a retelling somewhat of the mind of evil if the Doctor had never shown up to intervene in the mind of evil. Do you think that works? It's a little difficult because of how grand they made it. Yeah. I think the idea that after testing out the Keller machine, the master defects to China, becomes Kala, has tons of these parasites, builds legions of zombie soldiers off the back of it. And they fight in the Vietnam Wars and it just seems so bizarre. I kind of like it because it kind of shows how dangerous the Master could be if the Doctor wasn't around to stop him. 
But I do also think that you're right in that it's a little overly brand. I think part of it is the tie with the mind of evil with the killer machine. Even thinking about it, it's like, yeah, maybe it could potentially do that. I just think that not being one of my favorite serials doesn't help. But I just don't see how that particular thing ties into something this grand. If we were to choose some other story that that was the jumping off point of when the master became how bad he could become, I could be more on board. I don't know. I think that this almost makes the mind of evil a little bit better. It shows us what the application could be on a larger scale, whereas the mind of evil seems relatively small in comparison to some of the master's schemes. This kind of takes it to its grandest version. I don't hate it. I think it's quite charming. And I really like the 1997 Hong Kong setting. I like the setting and I like all the other things with it. Getting it tied all the way back to the Mind of Evil. I don't know how well that piece worked. That's fair. Mainly because it took me a second listen to actually make that connection. And I think the other question I have as a result of it is if in this universe there are a bunch of these parasites that arrived on our planet 150 years earlier, what happened to the rest of them in the regular Doctor Who universe? Are they still out there just being guarded by Buddhist monks in China? That's a great question. And then my other question is, there are stories after the mind of evil with the master in this universe with him leaving and defecting to China, do those other stories not happen? I guess they don't. He's stopped most of the time, so I would assume with the Autons in Terror of the Autons, that just went wrong and they betrayed the Master like they were always going to, regardless of the Doctor. Then he still did his Keller thing, and then I would assume Cause of Axos wouldn't have needed to happen. Oh. Colony in Space wouldn't have happened. Sea Devils... Demons wouldn't have happened. Sea devils wouldn't. Most of them just wouldn't have happened. Oh, demons wouldn't have happened. That's so sad. (laughs) Yes, it is. No Sergeant Benton dancing with Miss Hawthorne. I was really sad that we didn't really get a Benton reference. Yeah, I thought you would be. Honestly, I heard the reference to Mike Yates's heroics and I was like, oh, Julie's going to be pissed. (laughs) I mean, I am mad about it, but I do think it is a better redemption arc for him than what happened in the show. Yeah. If in the show at the very end, instead of him being sent off and the brigadier kindly letting him get discharged, if Yates had actually been the one to take that machine and send them back and accidentally get caught in it, it would probably be a better ending for Yates. Yates still makes an appearance. We haven't quite watched our way through all of Pertwee at the time of recording this. We will see Yates again in the show. I thought we were done, but... No, you have to suffer through one more Yates appearance. Sorry. (laughs) As long as I get more Benton appearances, I'm okay. You get a lot more Benton than you do Yates at this point. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I have my favorites. I know how that goes. But yeah, I picked up on references to Silurians, Autons, Dinosaurs, and Mars Probe 7. Clearly, the Ambassadors of Death still happen. There was a reference to Stallman's gas... Interestingly, it seems like Inferno may not have totally happened. I don't know. Mm. How that one works is confusing me because we saw what happened if it was allowed to go ahead. Yeah. I'm guessing it's still in progress and it just took longer to get the go ahead without the Doctor, maybe? A little bit of a plot hole there. Yeah, well, it's allowed. And I feel like I'm nitpicking at this point. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 
There are a lot of little things in this I really love, including some of the references to the song. The first time the master shows up, he says, please allow me to introduce myself. (laughs) At a later point, the brigadier asks the doctor about the master. What's puzzling you? And the doctor replies with the nature of his game, brigadier. It doesn't quite fit. It feels shoehorned in, but yet I love it all the same. I know. I was the one who rewrote the song. Yes, you were. I don't mind those. There's other things shoot in. The last thing he said is, Brigadier, I believe this is the start of a beautiful friendship. I was like, really? We're, we're yeah. going to go Casablanca on this? All right. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> there are some wonderfully quotable pieces of dialogue in this, though. When they're trying to get through the crowds to get the soldier to the TARDIS, and the master says to someone, step aside or I shall lay your soul to waste. <laughs> that one and then just goes oh thank you so much (laughs) some of the dialogue is very over the top i'm like this is not how people would speak in 1997 i want to speak like that when walking through crowds in london (laughs) but i think i would get some very odd looks oh absolutely i also think that some of the ending was a little bit difficult to follow okay so i know that they're trying to get to an area with the soul jar Mm-hmm. Not the soldier, but the soldier and all that. But I just think that there's a lot of noise happening. The master's going this way. They're going this way. And the doctor goes in his TARDIS and goes somewhere else. So there's just a lot of spatial awareness that you have to be aware of. And it got a little bit confusing. Particularly at the very end where you have the doctor and the brigadier off going to Inner Mongolia in the TARDIS. you got the master in the pub thinking it is the TARDIS. And then you got Brimmick and Wood and Co. in rubber dinghies in Hong Kong Harbour as all hell breaks loose with the Chinese helicopters, which are manned by the Curler divisions. It's very loud. I will agree with you on that. I like how Big Finish does a very good job of setting atmosphere, and that would be the atmosphere of everything being chaotic. Also, at the same time, I'm trying to follow a story yeah, <laughs> and getting a little confused every once in a while. I do think the punters coming into the pub and asking the master for a pint was beautiful. Oh my God, that was wonderful. That was so good. (laughs) Because he's just like, excuse me, what? And the one guy's like, you can't get any good service anymore. Uh, Yes. It's definitely a lot. I have a couple of questions for you around the format. Mm. We're used to our Doctor Who being pretty episodic. This was just a 75 minute long special wasn't split into two or three it was just one solid episode did that work for you or would you have preferred to see it broken up a bit more for big finishes i like the two parts Mm -hmm. that's what i tend to want when i do these big finishes sometimes they break it up into like three or four i'm like that's too many you break this up into two so i think it kind of would have been nice to have broken this up into two i think you could probably have done it i don't know if it fits minute wise but the first part of everything getting set up, do the master reveal and then have a part two. Right. That's just my preference. It still worked fine when I listened to it the second time when I didn't pause at all or anything like that. I pretty much listened to it all the way straight through. It flowed really well, so it works. I just like a break. That makes sense. How about you? Do you have a preference? I like the occasional feature length special, both in terms of televised Doctor Who and in terms of Big Finish. 
I prefer it to be unusual because it adds something to scale. You know, this story is so important that we had to just do it as one. And I don't think that this quite works for that. I don't think it's of that sort of scale where it merits 75 minutes in one go. Mm -hmm. If it had been cut into two, I think it probably would have worked a little bit better. Yeah. The other question I have for you is I know you're a huge, huge fan of what if concepts. How did this one work for you? I did like it as a what if because they still referenced enough of what had happened and they still said that those things still happened. It's just they didn't happen in the way that we remember them happening. Yep. I prefer that than just everything being completely different. So I like the fact that this was basically a instead of the doctor just ending up at a different time and then hearing what happened in the 80s when he had been there before. Well, except he wasn't there because that's not how... He wasn't the third doctor, but he heard what happened when he was not there to prevent these things or solve these things. So I liked it. Okay. The other thing I wanted to do is talk a little about the other Unbound ones, the original six, and see if any of those other ones appeal to you from their basic concept. Because again, I know what a fan you are of the concept of what if. The first one, Old Mortality, is what if the Doctor and Susan had never left Gallifrey? Oh, mm. but then we wouldn't have Ian and Barbara. We would not. And that one's got a lot of Gallifrey lore in it because it's set on Gallifrey. Then at this current moment, I wouldn't want to watch it since I'm still new to Gallifrey lore because we just got around to actually naming it Gallifrey. Yep. Right now, no for that one. The third in the range was what if the Doctor believed that the ends justify the means? It's not really a what if in terms of what if this happened a different way? But what if the character of the Doctor was a little more morally dubious? I don't know if I like that one either. <laughs> that takes away some of his like not charm, but it makes him too much like the Master. Yeah, I liked that one. It's an interesting story, but overall, yeah, I think I agree with you. The fourth one was called He Jests at Scars, and that was what if the Valyard had won? That will mean nothing to you right now, so we will come back to that in, like, a few years' time. Yep. The fifth one was called Deadline, and that one was basically what if Doctor Who never made it to TV? So it kind of tells a fictionalized version of the guy who had the idea. They call him Martin Bannister, and he's, like, grown up and been haunted by this TV show he thought of that never got made. Oh, <laughs> he imagines himself in the adventures it's a little weird probably the most meta of them uh, <laughs> i kind of feel bad because i keep saying no yeah yeah probably not the last one of the original six was called exile and it posed the question what if the doctor had escaped the justice of the time lords and this one's an out and out comedy they made the doctor into a woman because she had to go into hiding and they would have never expected her to be a woman. It's all basically she comes to Earth and lives a very mundane life working in a grocery store and getting <laughs> drunk with her friends in the pub. <laughs> yep, I'm absolutely listening to that one. <laughs> all right. It's a little cringy, but it's very silly. If it's like a comedy, yeah, I expect that to be cringy. And then they came in and they did sequels to this one and to the first one. So they were clearly the two winners of the original six. I could see that. 
interesting, a sequel to this one. Is it like the Brigadier and Doctor Adventures, since it seems like the Brigadier might be a companion of the Doctor at the end of this one? Yes, they have an adventure together. Aw, yay. Yeah. In general, I just think David Warner is so good as the Doctor. I really love his Doctor. And then when they bring him over into our universe, he's kind of a grumpy Doctor in the same way as Hartnell, Mm -hmm. which I always loved because he does that really well. I do like that. I think it would be interesting to do some what it. I'm sure they probably have done some what ifs with the new who. They've just done the first one, which is basically what if the time war happened earlier? So rather than having the war doctor fighting the time war, they have Colin Baker's doctor fighting the time war. Interesting. Yeah, I haven't heard that one yet. That's probably going to be on my listening for my uh, flight to London. I could be on board with that one. I haven't watched any of Colin Baker yet, but... I think it's got some pretty big spoilers for some stories that we will be getting to relatively soon. Like the divergence point is in the fourth Doctor's first season from what I've read. Oh, all right. That's all your questions? That's all my questions. Any final thoughts on Sympathy for the Devil? Talk a little bit more about the Brigadier kind of towards the end. There was a part where <laughs> one of my favorites is an interaction with the Brigadier and the Doctor and the Brigadier is getting really frustrated and he goes on this like little rant and I'm just like, yep, I can picture Nicholas Courtney right now and how this rant would go and it was wonderful. That was great. I think it was like one of those rants where at the very end, it's when he mentions these monks are singing around a soul jar. And the doctor's like, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, then it suddenly all clicks for the doctor. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really love that because that's typically what happened in the show was the brigadier would start ranting. And at some point, the doctor would be like, hey, that reminds me of XYZ. And he goes off and does the thing. Yep. Exactly what happens here. So I was like, okay, that's great. One thing I did find weird was the fact that so they're going to the temple and Master's in there, and they go in, guns a-blazing. And then all of a sudden, oh, wait, never mind. It just seemed they just listened to the Doctor too easily. Yeah, given that most of them have just met him. Yeah. I see your point. It's a little bit nitpicky, maybe, but that's just kind of the feeling that I got with that one. And the Master does some pretty terrible things. I mean, he doesn't just kill Adam. He then steals Adam's clothes, and poor Ling is just traumatized by this. Mm Mm-hmm. And she has to overhear them talking about finding Adam's body, which we know was done by the master, but they think it's the master and she's the one who realizes it's not. Nasty. So, so bad. Oh, this is why I have more suspicions on the Abbot is because (laughs) I I just got to my notes about it. There's a specific reason. It's the fact that he supposedly gets killed and isn't killed. Oh yeah, doesn't he just get shot in the leg? I think it was. Well, but Ling actually thought he was dead. Oh, Link's kind of an idiot. That's true. It just seemed if he was that close to potentially even, I don't know. It just rubbed me the wrong way. (laughs) That's fair. And also, if he got shot in the leg and got shot in the femoral artery, he could die. Just saying. Yeah. Arteries exist. But he doesn't. He makes it. Yeah, I I understand why you question that. (laughs) You know how I always call out the doctor name dropping people? Yep. I love how the master like twists it on him and calls out the whole chairman Mao and is like, you could have stopped Mao. And, and the doctor's like, when I knew him, he was a librarian. And it's like, but he then killed millions of people. And I'm like, thank you for someone calling the doctor out. It's that same question of, do you kill Hitler as a baby? Mm-hmm. 
do you kill Mao when he's just a librarian and hasn't actually done anything wrong yet? Yeah. Again, do you believe the ends justify the means? Mm-hmm. One last thing. Sorry, I keep finding these little nitpicky <laughs> things. Another reason why I was suspicious of the monk. First off, he called himself a bulletproof monk. Isn't that like a movie or something? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but when he calls himself that, he does it in such a manner that I'm like, there's something different about him. Okay. Sorry, I had a lot of like connecting things about this monk. I know this is not what the story is about, but there's just something about him. So you're just kind of left wondering, what did the abbot do next? Yes. Maybe he's the meddling monk in disguise. <sighs> I feel like he'd be more meddling if he was the meddling monk. Yeah, no, you're right, he would be. There's another character and, and we'll come back to that. Okay. All right, so I think we're at the end of this. Should we go ahead and rate it? I think so. I will let ladies go first. I really enjoyed it. Big Finish does an excellent job of all the soundscape, all the design. It's a well-written story, and the cast is phenomenal. I love pretty much everyone. Ling is just a boring character, but I'll forgive that. I only had a few issues that could have been broken up, I think, into two chunks instead of just being one continuous story. And I thought the ending was just a little bit too chaotic. They probably could have done a better job of structuring that so i wasn't as confused the first time i listened to it so i'm going to give it seven and a half shouty scots out of ten Ooh. okay well i mentioned at the beginning i'm a little bit biased towards this one i adored this when it first came out in 2003 i was 15 or 16 years old at the time and it became one of my comfort audios you know like when i couldn't sleep yeah i put it on and would help me sleep not because it's boring, just because it was one I really enjoyed and listened to lots. So I wasn't like listening in like intensely by the time I'd listened to it for like the 10th time. There's a lot here to like in this story. I do like how they take a lot of the concepts and storylines and hint at how they moved along without the Doctor. I do know that Jonathan Clements, when originally pitching this, wanted it to take place in like much more of a post-apocalyptic world where all of these things had happened and the consequences without the Doctor were absolutely disastrous. He got talked into scaling it back a bit, so they all kind of were stopped, but just. Overall, I like the storyline. I like the concept that the Master went off and did his thing in China. I like the fact that the Doctor has finally shown up at the critical point to kind of put an end to it before the Kerla divisions all go completely crazy. I love the casting in this. I think David Warner's a fantastic doctor. Mark Gatiss slash Sam Kisgart is a phenomenal master. And I'm happy to say we get more of him in other Big Finish stories as well. Overall, there's just something about this one for me. So this gets 9 out of 10 bulletproof monks from me. <laughs> that brings us to the end of our discussion of Sympathy for the Devil. We will be back as a quartet next time with our next regular episode. But for now, as always, thank you so very much for listening to Julian myself. And until next time, have a good one. You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Julie Philippeck and myself, Anthony Williams. This bonus episode, This Shouty Scottish Man, was recorded on Thursday the 16th of June 2022. If this is your first time listening in, all of our previous episodes are available through your favourite podcasting app. 
you can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at Watchers4D, and you can also email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and leave us a review or rating on your favorite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember, when all else fails, adopt a Scottish accent and shout at the world. And we didn't talk about shoes.